Hello and welcome to the latest episode in the Oz Movie Geek podcast. I'm your host, Pato. Today I'll be doing a review of Project Power, the new superhero Netflix film that debuted on August 16th, I want to say. Um, and yeah, it's been getting mixed reviews, but it was something I was excited to check out. This film was in a bidding war for quite some time where a few studios were really hungry for it. Now, the premise is really cool. Essentially, you can take a pill, you take that pill, and you've got superhero powers for five minutes. You don't know what those superhero powers are going to do, but, you know, it it could be fun. You could explode. You don't really know. Um, And I think that's where the intrigue came for this film. I think people were really excited to see what could be done with a premise like this. Whether or not this is the best version of that premise is another question, but this film was directed by Henry Joost and Ariel Shulman, who directed Nerve and two of the Paranormal Activity sequels. But this is a film that I wanted to talk about because I did find it intriguing. I don't know if I liked it. I don't know if I hated it. I'm sort of in the middle. So I think by the time I start talking about it, I'll be able to actually come to a conclusion and you might be like, ah, maybe I should check that one out. Who knows? But without further ado, let's get just stuck into it. So take it away, trailer. There was a pill. That could give you five minutes. Pure power. Would you take it? Listen to my voice. Am I lying? Welcome to Project Power. Our goal is simple. The next evolution of the human species. Here, take one of those before. It can make you strong. Make you invisible. You never know what your power is until you try it. You push that power, don't you? Yeah. On the streets, they're talking about superpowers, but they're not talking about how one hit could kill you. What's the plan now? You took something from me. I gotta get it back. Something? No, someone. This thing is tearing our city apart. Your kid has something to do with it? Where do you think they got the formula from? They have my daughter. Maybe we can work together on this. Still got the pills on you? It's about to get real noisy. So that's your power. First, we stabilize it. Then, we weaponize it. Power goes to where it always goes. To the people that already have it. They think they can just test their product on my city? We'll let them see what happens. I thought we were like Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin, that's a movie. This is real life. We doing this. Tell me where my daughter is. Yes, 
So, like I said, Project Power was a film that was in a bidding war for quite some time. I don't know the studios that were actually involved with this bidding, but I would say Warner Brothers would have had something to do with it because they're always hungry for something. Um, but ultimately, it did land on Netflix, and they won out here. But it was directed by Henry Juiced and Ariel Shulman, and stars Jamie Foxx, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Dominic Fishback, and Rodrigo Santoro, um, and follows um, a, a, a cop and Jamie Foxx's character uh, when a pill that gives its users predictable, unpredictable superpowers for five minutes hits the streets of New Orleans. A teenage dealer and a local cop must team up with an ex-soldier to take down the group of responsible um of those responsible for its creation so like i said this was a film that i wasn't too excited for that trailer didn't really do it for me i like the premise though the idea that they take this pill they get superpowers for five minutes what those superpowers will be who knows but it was a really interesting script and um i noticed that they're really um really promoting the writer here um uh, who was Matson Tomlin. Now, why are they promoting that writer? Because he is uh, writing the upcoming Batman screenplay um, with the film, uh, with Matt Reeves, of course, but uh, the film starring Robert Pattinson. So it's interesting to see, you know, this is a precursor. So obviously this was something he wrote before he got the job there on Batman, but it was obviously something that helped him get the job on Batman as well. So it's interesting seeing that um, side of things as well, I guess the behind-the-scenes type deal there. But it's a film that I was interested in because I do like Jamie Foxx. I, I think it's impossible for you not to like Jamie Foxx. You look at the guy, he just has this charm about him. He always has, and he's a really good actor as well, don't get me wrong. His um, performance in Collateral is one of my favourites. Ray, he's fantastic in. Django Unchained, just he's awesome. He always is fantastic. So... It was really cool to see him in a film like this as well. Um, and it's great to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt back. Where have you been, man? It's been a while. Um, he's got three films coming out this year, a film directed by Aaron Sorkin, um, The Trial... I can't remember the name of it. Hang on one second. I'm going to look it up live because I hate doing that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's really cool to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt back because it's been... Since his last film, so his last role, I guess his proper role was Snowden, which was back in 2016, so it's been a while for him. Um, but he's had uh, a 7500, uh, the Amazon exclusive, which I still haven't seen, um, and The Trial of Chicago 7, which was the Aaron Sorkin one with Eddie Redmayne, um, Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, John Carroll Lynch, Mark Rylance. It's got a fantastic cast. It's a film I'm quite looking forward to because I love Aaron Sorkin. Um, but it's cool to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt back because he's fantastic and he should be in more stuff. Um, I, I don't know why he did take a hiatus. I know he was working on a few projects. There was that um, Fraggle Rock remake. I don't know if that actually got... Um, yeah, I don't know where that one's sitting, but he was rebooting that and he was a producer, writer, and he was going to star in it as well. But... Yeah, I don't know where that one actually is sitting at the moment. It's still not. It's still on his um, IMDb as an upcoming project, but who knows? But it was really cool to see this sort of cast and a, a really fantastic performance from Dominic Fishback. I hadn't seen her in anything before, and it's a real star-making turn for her. Like she stole a lot of the scenes she's in. There's some great stuff with her and Joseph Gordon-Levitt who have fantastic chemistry. And then she turns around and has awesome chemistry with Jamie Foxx as well. And I just really enjoyed her. She was awesome. Uh, there's some great sequences. There's one where Jamie Foxx is like, are you a real rapper or are you just saying you're a rapper? And he, she says, throw me a word. And he's like, oh, you're that good. And then he goes, radio, antibiotics. And she just like spins this awesome rap. And 
um, Jamie Foxx is like blown away. And I was like, that's actually really cool. And I really liked their back and forth. They were fantastic together. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I'm already in the positives here, but the performances, they were really, really good. Um, like I said, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's fantastic. Um, he plays a character called Frank. He's, he's not a dirty cop. He's a cop who um, doesn't like the way things are, are going and uh, the cops aren't really doing anything about this new drug on the street and they don't really realize how dangerous it is. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt is also taking the drug as well, but he's doing it to level the playing field, as he says. His dealer is Dominic Fishback's character, and they have a bit of a relationship there, and I really did enjoy their um, camaraderie together. They were fantastic. And Jamie Foxx has the vendetta there. They're using his daughter um, as a testing dummy, I guess, to try and work out um, how these powers work, because essentially they did tests on a group of soldiers, so Jamie Foxx being one of the soldiers... And now it's had a residual effect on his daughter where the powers that he kind of gained have now translated down his genome and have ended up with his daughter. So now they're using his daughter as a, a testing platform. And it was really interesting to see that one play out. Um, I liked the idea of the premise and I liked the idea of having, you know, this ex-soldier team up with the cop and you have the girl on the streets as well. It's interesting and it was a cool little uh, trio that they had there, but their trio doesn't really form until there's like 40 minutes left in the film and it's kind of a shame. I would have liked to have seen them all team up earlier in the film. Uh, the film has a r relentless pace though. It goes so quickly and I think that's a credit to the directors here because Henry Juice and Ariel Shalman, now I'm not a huge fan of their direction. Nerve was a film that gained, uh, it did garner a lot of attention when it first came out, but it's not really something I'm a huge fan of. I saw it when it initially came out. I saw it in the cinema, and then since then I just haven't had the the nerve um, to check it out again. It just really hasn't been my cup of tea. He did direct two of my my, my two favorite paranormal uh, paranormal activity uh, films with Paranormal Activity three and four. Uh, they are my two favorite films in that franchise. I just really enjoy the direction they go. Uh, number four in particular, I've mentioned it before, it's such a weird film, but it's really enjoyable because it doesn't take itself seriously at all. And it has a lot of comedy and uh, moments of levity in there too, which I really enjoyed. Um, but yeah, they're interesting directors because all their films have this relentless pace and they go really quickly. And I think that's why I like Paranormal Activity 3 and 4 because they do move quickly where the other films are quite slow and do take their time, where those two films are quite relentless in their pace too. And I think that's a, a strength here of Project Power because it really does move quickly from the get-go. You're sort of just thrown into this film and it's really enjoyable. And I, I did have a really good time watching the film. I, I thought it was um, it was one of those films where, I've said it before, I don't really like using the term turn off my brain and watch it, but it was one of those kind of films. Like I could watch it not thinking too deeply into it. It was a classic revenge tale. Jamie Foxx wants to get his daughter back. Bad drug dealers, let's go and get them. That's as simple as the plot is, but I think it's the concept that really draws people in and really engages people to actually, you know, stick with it. But the relentless pace really does add to it because you're watching this film just thinking, yeah, this film has been going for 45 minutes and it feels like it just started. Like it just, it's so quick. And I did enjoy that. And I think that goes to those two directors. I think they really understand how to keep a, a film moving whether they can, you know, helm the rest of the aspects of a film is another question because there's certain aspects of this film that don't work for me. Some of the action sequences are a bit derivative. I don't like the quick cut action. I never have. Uh, some of the stylized sequences reminded me a lot of Dread and uh, a movie called Push, which does deal with superpowers as well with Chris Evans and Dakota Fanning, another film I actually really enjoy. Um, but this film does have elements of that here too. But 
I, I did really enjoy what they were able to do. And I think, like I said, the, the strengths of this film do, do land on the the stars you have here. Like, Jamie Foxx is fantastic, like I said. Joseph Gordon-Lovett's terrific. And Dominic Fishback really does hold her own against two of Hollywood's heavy hitters in Gordon-Lovett and Fox. Um, but I think if it wasn't for this premise, I don't know if the film would work as good as what it does. It just has this really interesting vibe going on and the style of it like new orleans is painted as kind of like a detroit style you know this real scummy slummy kind of place and i think because of the areas we see of new orleans in this film and i'm sure it's a, a nice place but the areas we see in this film are you know the streets it, it's a place where you know drug deals do happen and we see this um you know this underbelly and the, this nightlife that we wouldn't normally see and i think that's why um, certain aspects of the film work for me and certain aspects don't, but they do paint it in an interesting light. And I thought that was, you know, a, an interesting perspective and shooting it in New Orleans is really interesting too. Like we normally do get Detroit. It seems to be the fall guy when it comes to American cities used for crime ridden, um, places in America, like Robocop is a great example. Don't breathe most recently. Like it, Detroit's just always painted to be just like a real slum and a real scummy place. Um, and I think if you're trying to hammer home a point like that, I think that's why um, it's interesting to see them use a different city. Like, you know, you have Chicago, which has a really high crime rate, but every time Chicago's painted in, in cinema, it's always painted in such a beautiful light, and you look at it and you think, oh, so lovely. Um, but then you're like, yeah, I don't know. It just hasn't really worked for me. Like, I don't think Chicago is that safe or that nice a place to actually go. But I did find... Um, yeah, that to be interesting. It's a it's a unique unique and different setting, and I thought that was interesting. Um, but that sort of brings my positives here to a close, I guess, because I didn't love the film. Like I said, I was a bit uh, perplexed when watching it. I I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. I was sort of just you know middle ground. I just didn't have an opinion on it. It just sort of just came and went for me. So we'll get stuck into a few negatives here. I, I briefly touched on this a second ago, and that is the quick cut editing. The editing was too rapid fire for me. It just didn't work. It just was, you know, a quick cut scene and then it was slow motion and then it would quick cut, quick cut. You couldn't see what was going on and I was like, what is happening? There's a sequence where uh, Jamie Foxx's character has snuck into a drug deal um, with the very underutilized... Um, uh, I keep forgetting his name. I, he's got such a cool name too and I always forget it. Um, Rodrigo Santoro. Um, his character is, you know, he's such a great actor... Um, but he's so underutilized here. But anyway, he's holding a, a, this uh, display of what the drug can do. So they have like this containment tank, uh, tank and they give this girl one of the um, pills and sees what, you know, what will happen if she takes it. They're trying to sell it to different buyers. And it's really interesting. And Jamie Foxx is infiltrating this group because he wants to find out where his daughter is. Um, so there's a sequence where he is taking down absolutely everyone here. Um, and it would have been an awesome action sequence if we could see it. But we don't see it because... It's shot from the perspective of the girl who's taken the pill and she's turned into like an ice lady. She's like, uh, she can adapt her, te her body temperature to different environments and she becomes them. So they turn the um, down to freezing temperature and she turns into ice and she breathes ice and can, you know, um, manipulate the, her surroundings to produce ice and things like that. Um, but it's all shot from inside the tank. So... Jamie Foxx is taking down everyone and you can't see a fucking thing. And I was like, why is this shot like this? It'd be so cool if the camera was following him. You could do like a John Wick style thing. And this film has like a, I'm going to look up its budget now, but I'm going to say it has a pretty hefty budget. 
because you've got two awesome stars in it and I would say it would have cost, you know, a, a bit of coin there to make. I'm going to say around $70 because that's how much those um, films normally cost to make. I'm going to Google it as I'm talking. But, yeah, I, I just thought, why shoot it like that? I, I feel like you have the capabilities to make a better film in that respect. And I, I just don't like when they do that. Like, it's not an artistic choice. It's just a frustrating choice because I want to be there with Jamie Foxx in the action and – I'm not. I'm inside this cage with this girl that's turning into ice and it's nowhere near as interesting. Um, and I found it to be quite frustrating. And that was an example of the way that the action was actually... So uh, just while I've looked up the, the price of this film, $85.1 million. So this is a very expensive film and they couldn't really utilise that budget. Like it just felt like it was... I don't know. Uh, Jamie Foxx would be quite expensive, I'd imagine, to get in your film. But... Yeah, it just really frustrated me. I was like, this looks like trash. It just doesn't work for me at all, and it was quite frustrating. Um, and certain other things as well, the lack of, of a villain. So they sort of set up at the beginning, that, and you think that um, Rodrigo Santoro's character um, is going to be the big bad guy. So he's a drug dealer, and he's the one who you think is introducing the drug on the streets. But then you find out he's actually working for someone else who's played by uh, a- um, Amy Lendecker, um, and you think that, yeah, you, you think that he's going to be the main villain, then she's introduced in the third act as the main villain, and it's just like, where is the main villain? Neither of them have, like, a, a good enough uh, reason to be a villain. They're just bad guys because they want to make money, and, uh, yeah, I can't even tell you their characters' names. They're that weak. I just remember Frank because I was like, Jessica Gordon-Levitt plays Frank. That's cool. Uh, Jamie Foxx's character's name, Art. Um, but, yeah, I, I just thought, like, it would be cool to have a decent villain, Imagine having someone like Charlize Theron turn up, you know, and write her character into a, a, a decent um, a decent role and give her, you know, a, a bit of something to do. Now, I understand that the villain aspect isn't, you know, a huge thing, but you do establish two very weak villains that are defeated quite easily. It would have been cool to actually have a decent villain so I actually cared about, you know, we, not which side I'm on because you're obviously going to be following Jamie Foxx trying to get his daughter back, but... It would have been interesting to have a bit of a conflict there that was actually worth watching. I just felt like the conflict was very, I don't know, it was, it was very weird. I just didn't like it. And it's a shame to waste an actor like um, Centauro because he's such a great actor. But it was really disappointing when his character is just picked off during the film. Spoiler alert, but that's what happens. Um, the story as well, it lacked a lot of depth for me. Um, like I said, it's got a cool premise, cool setup doesn't really do anything with that setup, and it's a bit of a shame. It's a cool world. I like the idea of having this pill that gives you superhero powers for five minutes. I like the idea of Joseph Gordon-Levitt going against the system. I like the idea of Jamie Foxx, you know, rebelling again against the system, trying to get his daughter back. But, yeah, it just was very, very cookie-cutter, very basic, and it would have been nice to have those plot devices and um, elements really play out a bit more. So I was a bit ashamed, um, I'm ashamed because I didn't work on this film. I was a bit um, disappointed uh, with that and it would have been nice to actually have a bit more of a fleshed out plot. I would have liked to have seen a few more aspects and I don't know if um, this film would have benefited either by being longer or if it was a miniseries because I don't know if there's enough content for it to be a miniseries but I don't think there was enough content for it to be a feature length film. So... It's interesting. I think if you establish characters, establish lore a bit further as well, it could have been a bit more interesting. But it's one of those cases where they made the film because they got the rights to this story 
and they really wanted to make something out of it, but they didn't really have the depth to really, you know, make it something really unique and wholly original. And that leads me into my next complaint, which is that I feel like the film is unoriginal. It feels like Push, like I mentioned. It feels like Dread. Dread has the idea that um, there's this drug. Um, I, I don't know if Dread is set in Detroit, but I'm just going to say it is for the sake. No, it's not, because I remember the name of the city. It's got a really, really weird name, and they call I'm going to look it up again. This is the third time I've done this on this podcast. I do apologize. What is the name of the city? It's on the East Coast. Running from Boston. There you go. So I thought it was a made-up city for some reason. But anyway, um, the idea is that um, Mama in that film played by Lena Haiti does um, have a drug there called slow-mo. People are taking it and they see life in slow motion. It's a really cool visual. Um, And I felt a lot of uh, connection there between this story and that story. I was like, I feel like Matt Tomlinson... Uh, the writer of the uh, of Project Power really did like Dread, and he's like, okay, we're not getting a Dread sequel, so how about instead of making things in slow motion, give some superpowers? And that's the real difference here. Um, I think Dread's a bit more of a compelling character than any of the characters we got in this film, but hey, who knows? Um, I don't know what his inspirations were, and I don't want to really judge on that, but yeah, it's just very irritating. I feel like there could have been a bit more done here. It's unoriginal and, yeah, lacks a bit of that originality and it was quite disappointing. But nevertheless, um, it is what it is and it's an easy watch. It's something you can just chuck on. Um, There's an interesting thing too. So the film's rated R in America or MA here in Australia and they don't really utilise that rating a lot. There's a few sequences of blood and gore, but they keep cutting away every time someone goes to swear. So there's a sequence when Jamie Foxx goes to say motherfucker and they cut away beforehand and there's a sequence before a guy gets killed and he screams fuck, I think. Oh, he, no, Dominic Fishback's character has escaped and he goes to scream fuck and it cuts away again. I was like, why are you cutting away? Your film's rated MA. You can say this. You're allowed to say it, but they don't. And I thought that was really interesting. I was like, why are they doing that? And I've noticed a few other people bring that up as well. But yeah, it was very, very odd considering how gory and violent the film is. Um, and some of the special effects are quite unpolished as well. There's a effect on this guy who can adapt and camouflage, but it just looked like something out of a PS2 video game. It really didn't work. Um, but yeah, the verdict. With a strong cast and fun premise, Project Power benefits from these aspects, but a generic story and rushed editing make this film fall apart and a little flat for me. I'm giving Project Power a 6 out of 10. So, yeah, Project Power. Go and check it out. It's on Netflix. It's been number one on Netflix for like a week now. Um, A lot of people are watching it. But, yeah, it was very interesting for me. It wasn't something I would rush and go and see again, but it was an easy watch. So, yeah, do what you will. Um, I guess I'm kind of recommending it because I gave it a 6 out of 10. It was cool seeing Joseph Gordon-Levitt back on the big screen, and Jamie Foxx is always a pleasure to watch. So, yeah, that brings this episode to a close, guys. So thank you all for listening. Um, And until next time, yeah, peace out.